0: Uh, week four, I believe, yeah, week four of our Words of Jesus series, uh, Pastor Philip uh, brought one of them, and then this is the third one that I've preached, and I've realized that um, the Holy Spirit keeps drawing me to um, all of Jesus' agricultural verses and passages. I'm like, we're very, like, agriculture-driven, like, we're talking about soil and horticulture and all this good stuff and plants and things growing in life. But then I realized, you know, honestly, Jesus used that analogy consistently. For a carpenter, he talked a lot about plants. I'm like, dude, you would. We could do some building a house. You, could, you know, he uses some of those, but he uses more even with plants. And today's going to be no different as we're going to dive into a passage um, that is an, even a, a phrase around a seed that has become synonymous with faith. How many of you have ever heard the phrase mustard seed faith. Anybody ever heard the faith of a mustard seed, right? This, is, this comes from a famous passage uh, from words of Jesus, but in typical American church fashion, this is one of those texts that has actually become uh, sort of appropriated for its own uses and been separated from the story and the context where it was originally Placed, and if you don't know, if you're newer to church, when we approach Scripture, it's really important. We want to understand. Uh, for example, if Jesus is speaking, who is his audience? Where was he? What was the context of the situation? What was the story? Uh, if we're looking at the, the the micro verse, what was the meta narrative that was taking place? And and this passage will be no different. Where well, we need to understand the context. And the story. But even more than that, even before we get to Matthew chapter 17, I first, before we even dive into a conversation around faith, I first want to actually talk about we cannot really truly build and have faith without first understanding and believing that God is faithful. So I want to ask you a question. We'll start this message, put this at the top of. Your notes, if you're a note taker, I always encourage at least jotting down. You don't have to write everything down. If it's up on the screen, you don't have to write everything. But jotting down a few meaningful things that help you to actually process the word throughout the week. Right? Um, and, and actually go, man, God, speak to me through this. Something to look back on. But if you want to, you can write this question down. Do I think God is faithful? I want you to ask it right now. In your seats, do you believe this? Now, now, now dive, dive a little bit deeper. Don't give the Sunday school answer and just say yes, right now in this season. You see, some of you guys are in a season where your bank account's full, your relationships are healthy, and your body's healthy. And you're like, yeah, God's faithful. (laughs) Things are good, Pastor Sam. And then for some of us, we might be in a season or a day or a month or a week or a year or a decade that it's a little bit harder to believe that God is faithful because you're like, circumstantially, it's harder to see it right now. So really ask yourself that question. Do you really believe that God is faithful? And it's interesting how throughout the Old Testament, we see spelled out over time that a Hebrew view of God is that he is faithful. It is a theme of the Old Testament. It's a theme of their view of who he is. And in fact, God actually tells them when he's carving out the Ten Commandments and giving Moses the stone tablets up on the mountain, God actually describes himself as faithful. So I think it's important to ask yourself, do you believe that God could lie? Because if he can't lie, his description of himself would have to be 100% accurate. So let's hear how he describes himself. And he, God, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The Lord, compassionate. And gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness. What a great description. What an awesome description. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness. Now, the faithfulness here in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, the Hebrew word, here, and if you don't know, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. So if you ever hear a, a preacher saying, oh, in the original Greek, there, it's, it'll be a New Testament. In the Hebrew, it's going to be Old Testament. And, and here, this word faithfulness comes from the Hebrew word emet. Somebody say Emet. Emet, it's an easy one, E-M-E-T. For some reason in my mind to remember it, I I thought, picture an emu, I don't know why. Emu, emet, it's kind of similar. So now every time I read this word, I literally picture an emu in my head and then I laugh a little and then I keep going, right? But like emet, it actually, is translated as faithfulness, but it's also used often around the word truth. Faithfulness and truth, which actually connects it to the word we know as amen. Amen, we, what do we end a prayer with? And the Bible Project's definition of amen is that's truth. Come on, isn't that good? Amen, that's truth. We need to declare that's truth over more things in our life. We need to believe and hold on to the truth of God even a little bit more in our life. Honestly, let's make a habit of declaring amen even stronger after our prayers. But amen has a place in your life beyond prayers. Why right now in this sermon are you going to hear people in this church that are a little more encouraging to the pastor? They're going to say amen. What are they saying? That's truth. I agree. I back that. We're with you, pastor. Amen. Amen. That's truth. They're not ending a prayer that I'm saying. They're just declaring it's true. I believe it. It's accurate. And so faithfulness and truth are interconnected Moses actually uses Emet to describe the quality of the leaders he wants when he's recruiting leadership help in Exodus chapter 18 as well. He's looking for truthful, faithful leaders who represent God's Emet, that that grasp the bigger picture of what it means to be faithful. He wanted people like this. So essentially, a Hebrew perspective on God is that you cannot accept his truth without first believing that he's faithful. These are interconnected. For me to see him as faithful, I have to believe what he said. Faith and truth coexist. So essentially, we can trust God to be consistent and faithful to do what he said, to be consistent and faithful to his character. He's always going to be faithful to his character. What is his character? He's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, and he's faithful. So I can trust the truth that he is faithful. I can put my trust in the amet of my Father in heaven. And you know, as we dive into today's text, I wanted to first begin to break down a biblical view of the faithfulness of God. And I think it's important sometimes, um, you know, we had a lot of people visiting our church, checking it out. And I actually think it's important to break down, you know, one of the first questions people ask in a church, like, okay, but what kind of preacher is the lead pastor? Like, what, what's his style? What's his flow? What kind, what kind of preacher? And hopefully the answer to any preacher would be they're a Bible teacher, right? They're going to teach the Word of God. But there's a few different approaches and there's two really, like, commonly known ones um, where, where there is sort of your expository, exegetical style preaching where they're, they're just going to stay sort of uh, line by line, just read the Bible and tell you what it means and then leave it with you. That would be considered expository. A lot of expository preachers, they actually, um, they never want to add their own thoughts or ideas. They're like, no, I'm just going to tell you what it means and then I'm going to leave it with you. Topical. Uh, is a style of preaching where you just pick a topic. Usually it's something that the news is talking about, something in society, and whatever's happening in the world will talk about that topic, and then they'll find verses that can sort of fit into their topic or their main point. So the preacher will come up with an idea and then find scripture to back it, which is interesting because those are both extreme styles of preaching, where, where typically, uh, where, where, where I aim for is something that's called textual style preaching where you take a text from the word of God and go, there is a topic within the text that's being addressed. So there's a topic for the sermon. For example, today's topic really is faith. Jesus is going to address faith. So there you have a topic, but the topic comes from the text. And out of the text, we learn the topic. And from the topic, we try to apply it to our lives because we believe that the Bible, though it was written 2,000 years ago, can still apply to your life right now today. And there is an application that is current, effective, and modern. It is not outdated. It is alive. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It can pierce through bone and marrow. And it's got a word for you today. So when I approach preaching, I'm going, I want to take the text And I want to dive into what's really being said, try to understand it. And from that lead text, we're going to build out an idea that should help us for today. And that's no different than what I'm doing. But today in particular is a day where I would say I have to be heavier on the teaching side. Okay, so there's sometimes where it's a little heavier on, on the preaching side. And there's sometimes where it's a little heavier on the teaching side. So I need you guys to engage your minds with me today. Can you do that? Um, how many of you have a heart to learn sometimes when you come in on a Sunday? You're like, I'm ready to learn. I want to take some notes. I don't just want to feel every Sunday. I don't just want to be emotional every Sunday. I actually want to learn and grow. And so I ask that you would come in with that type of attitude. Hey, let's try to grow today. Let's, we, we, let's just try to get a little bit better. Well, we have a value of improvement at Artisan Church. Say, hey, I just, I'm trying to get a little bit better, and I want to grow a little bit today and understand the Word of God a little bit more. And so as we look at this emet, we look at being faithful, what does this have to do with the words of Jesus? Well, the faithfulness of God is actually manifested in the person of Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament, God promises Jesus right? He actually makes some grand promises to a lot of people. You see, Abraham is an example of uh, God's faithfulness. He makes a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a child and, and, and or that they're going to have descendants, like grains on a, on a seashore in the sand and stars in the sky before they even have a child, right? And he, what was he faithful to do? He's faithful to give Sarah a child in her old age, so that that was actually possible, and now that has proven to be true in their life. King David, actually, in, um, there, there's, there's a prophetic word declared over King David in Second Samuel chapter seven, that actually declares that his kingdom is gonna endure forever, that his descendants, that out of his descendants is gonna be one that God would call son, and that this son would actually establish a kingdom that would last forever. And this was promised, 2 Samuel chapter seven, verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. Here, God is giving him a promise. Was he faithful to complete it? Yes, he was faithful to complete this promise to David in the person of Jesus. Because how many of you know Jesus came and he established his kingdom and that kingdom is going to endure forever. Jesus came out of the line of David. He was the promised king and the one to usher in the kingdom that has been established and will stand forever. So not only is Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith church, he is the manifestation of God's emet for us. Anytime we lose sight of God's faithfulness, we can look back and go, yeah, but we got Jesus. He's already been faithful. He's already showed up. He's already saved me. He brought me Jesus. And then Jesus begins to offer us faith in him. So our main text today is going to be found out of Matthew chapter 17, um, but it's also found, it's found in Mark, it's found in Luke and Matthew, uh, but we're going we're to read first before we get to the lead text. I'm going to read um, just the story that we find this text in, and so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 17, and this part won't be up on the screen, but you can follow along. If you have your Bibles, I actually would encourage you to go there right now, Matthew chapter 17. Um, if you have your digital Bibles, go find it. Uh, We won't judge you for being on your phone. You are okay here. Just do it. Verse 14, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked. I love this part, by the way. The the disciples came to Jesus in private. How many know they'd had enough public shame for the day? Here they publicly failed in front of an entire crowd and they're like shamed. And then they go to Jesus privately like, oh, Jesus, can you like help us here? (laughs) It's just the human nature, right? Just being laid out for us. Here they come privately. They don't want anyone else to hear. Why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we do it? Why did we fail? That's what gets us to our main text for the day. Matthew 17, verse 20. He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you know, if you actually take the word-for-word translation from the Greek, Jesus said this exactly, if you have faith as a grain of mustard. If you have faith as a grain of mustard. The ESV says faith like a grain of mustard, which uh, makes some, a lot of sense, but the problem is we've actually heard it quoted more often um, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. And this has actually created a lot of confusion because NIV says small. But the actual translation here is faith as small. is not necessarily wrong, but it leads us to believe that we're talking about a quantity. It leads us to believe that faith as a mustard seed, we're talking about how much. We're talking about a measurement. But here, Jesus is actually saying faith-like. I want you to be like a mustard seed. I want you to have faith like that, faith as a grain of mustard. And if you do, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And just help us as well understand that removing mountains, moving mountains, was a famous Jewish figure of speech. And in fact, it was often given to those who uh, um, showcased a mastery of the Torah, a mastery of the law, that they were mountain movers in their life, that they could be close enough to God and abide by the law in such a way. Actually, Saul, before he was Paul, would have been considered this type of person, a mountain mover, that he was so true to the law that they had actually removed all of the mountains in their life that were holding them back in faith. That they'd actually gotten to a place where they had shifted these mountains. So this is a figure of speech here. And then uh, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Now what is the context he's talking to? Acts of faith stepping out and freeing somebody who's hurting. The disciples had failed. Remember, mustard seed faith, this answer, this is an answer to a question, it is not a statement. The disciples asked a question, how do we do things like this? So then he answers, he gives this analogy. Now this would have been really familiar to the disciples because in Matthew chapter 13 verse 31, he had actually told them a parable about a mustard seed and would have immediately come to mind for the disciples. Because in Matthew 13, Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all the seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So Jesus knows, they've already understand. When I say faith as a mustard seed, I'm talking about all you need is a little bit planted in the right soil, and it has the potential to grow into this massive tree. Another key to what Jesus is actually saying here would actually be found in Matthew chapter 17, verse 21. But I want you to look. I want you to look for Matthew 17, verse 21 in your Bible right now. Take a second. Look. Matthew 17, verse 21 you've got an old Bible, it might be there. If you've got a newer Bible, it's not there. There is no Matthew 17, verse 21. Look, it goes Matthew 17, 20, and then it goes right to 22. Does anyone know why? Isn't that interesting? I love Bible facts. I'm just Bible nerding right now. And if if I lost you, I lost you. But there's going to be a couple people in the room going, this is my favorite sermon ever. I'm nerding out with you, Pastor Sam. Let's go there. But there is no verse 21 because they realized, right, uh, if you don't know, we actually know way more about Scripture than we ever have. Um, there's, and, and what they realized is that verse 21 was added a little bit later than the original text and original manuscripts. The oldest manuscripts we have of Matthew don't include it. And Matthew, verse, uh, so you're like, well, was it wrong? Was it bad? It was actually just a direct quote from Mark chapter 9 in the same story and they just added it to Matthew. So it is scripture, and it is the words of Jesus, and it is what he said, but it was only in Mark's account, not in Matthew's account. And somewhere in there, a scholar goes, well, Jesus said it, and it's helpful in both. Let's add what Mark put down, and let's add it to Matthew. So it applies, but do you, let's read it. You guys want to know which one it is? Mark 9, verse 29, is a direct quote that was eliminated in verse 21. So he said to them, This kind, he's referring to the demon that was in the boy, can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So this response would have been the final statement that he would have made after giving this analogy of the mustard seed. Now this is important. This is so important. Stay with me. Because this verse gives us the key to what kind of faith Jesus is talking about. Because if he says this kind of demon can only be cast out by prayer and fasting, what does he mean? was he telling the disciples, you should have paused and stopped and like not had a snack for a little while and then you could have cast out the demon. Like, like in the moment, if you would have just fasted right then and there, no, he's talking about you did not do the proactive necessary steps to have developed the type of faith required to cast out that demon. You did not pray and fast ahead of time. You, you were not disciplined enough in your faith to be prepared You were not proactive, so when you tried to be reactive, you failed, and you embarrassed yourself, and you looked dumb in front of everybody. But disciples, if you would have just had the faith of that mustard seed, remember in Matthew chapter 13, when I told you that the smallest seed can grow into the largest tree, I actually am encouraging you, you are that seed, but you're still a seed. Plant yourself. In my words, let your roots grow down. Do you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about that verse. Plant yourself in my words. Let your roots grow down in me so that you'll be strong and you can produce good fruit. Okay, it connects to our faith. You are that seed. You have the potential and the capacity to grow a life of faith that can move mountains. It's in you. I placed it in you, but it has not come to fruition yet, disciples, so you were not ready. He didn't say this to shame them because how many of you know they got ready, right? We know the whole story. They got ready. Later when he said, don't don't start planting churches until I send my helper, they knew to wait. And they stayed and they prayed and they fasted. And what happened? A move of the Holy Spirit took place. And the church was launched. So they learned this lesson. They grew their faith. They changed the world. They moved a mountain as big as the Roman Empire with their faith. So so a lot was accomplished, but here in this moment, they had a little baby mustard seed faith. But see, the problem is, for me, I was even a part of a youth group at one time that was called Mustard Seed Moving Company. And uh, I was a part, (laughs) somebody else was, (laughs) give it up for Melina. And, And I never knew what this verse meant. I was in a youth group that was named after this verse, and I didn't know what it really meant. Because, can I just be honest with you? And this this isn't inherently wrong, but the easier message is, all you need is a tiny bit of faith, and you can come to this altar, and any mountain in your life will move. That's an easy sermon to preach. I can preach that all day. It's inherently wrong. But have you ever come forward, prayed for the mountain to move, and then been confused when it didn't? And then go, wow, I couldn't even get a mustard seed level of faith? Because all of a sudden, what are we doing? We're saying that mustard seed is a measurement of my faith. And yet, faith isn't really measurable, is it? It's more qualitative than quantitative, isn't it? So Jesus here, he's not trying to measure your faith. He's saying, this is you. You are that mustard seed. And if you would have faith like a seed, well, that's an odd thing to say. Let's process that. What does a seed have faith? Seed has faith that if it gets planted, it will grow into a tree that if it stays on the right track, in the right soil, in the right situation, that it will grow. The faithfulness is in its creator, in its design. Do you believe that God is faithful, that he designed you intentionally, that you were crafted in such a way that if you were planted and you grow, you're going to build a life of faith that can move mountains? But see, what Jesus is talking about with this answer that we find in Mark chapter 9, the initial parable in Matthew 13, and then the words in Matthew 17, he's talking about a progressive work, not an instantaneous moment. And I think it's just it's helpful to realize the faith to move a mountain is faith in God's emet. It's faith in his faithfulness. It's trusting in his truth. God, if you said it, you're going to do it. It's trust in his character that he's going to be who he said he's going to be, and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. You see, the seed is not a measurement of how much faith we feel. Uh, How much faith can I feel? How much right now can I have? How much can I have? How much can I have? When it's emotional, when faith is connected to our emotions, how many of you know it's volatile? I don't want my faith connected to my emotions. I don't want it. I don't want it to be how much we can feel. It's actually a model of how faithful he is, God is, to grow us, right? It's not just faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. But to sprinkle it in the right little equation, I can fly, I can do anything. You know, it goes beyond this. One of uh commentary I used to study from for most of my sermons, and a brilliant theologian Craig S. Keener, he's quoted as saying this, in this exact, he's talking about this exact passage in Matthew 17. He says, Jesus is thus telling the disciples, that nothing God asks them to do will be impossible. Notice I love that he put in anything God asks them to do. Realize the context. Not just whatever whim you have, whatever simple desire or feeling or emotion, whatever thing that comes up that you think you want. No, no, no. Whatever God asks them to do, nothing God asks them to do will be impossible if they trust him, trust his emet, The issue is not how small their faith might be, but how large is the God in whom their faith rests. Can we leave that out there just for a second? Oh, this this is good, you guys. This is hopeful. This is encouraging. Do you know that this is so encouraging? Because right here we see the issue is not how small or large our faith might be, but how large is the God in whom your faith rests this just takes the pressure off. Mustard seed faith actually takes the pressure off, not on. So if you've ever heard this verse and it's made you feel like a failure, it's out of context. Because the reality is Jesus is saying, it's faith like this seed. And it's going to be progressive and it's going to be a process. It's going to be a life of faith that you can build. And it's on, it's putting your faith and your trust in how faithful God is, how big he is, how good he is, how true he is, how loving he is, how gracious he is to you. That is an encouraging word. Jesus, Jesus is saying, have faith like a seed. Faith that you are made intentionally, faith that your father knows what to do with you, faith again in God's he met. But the beautiful reality is he is saying, hey, this is gonna move things in your life this kind of faith worked out over time is really gonna transform some things in your life. And, and one of the things that we see mustard faith can move, mustard seed faith can move is obstacles. There, there is this truth that, hey, if I can actually get this in my mind, faith like a seed, that I understand that there's gonna be a process to grow and produce and get larger and, and work this out, and that over time it's gonna move obstacles. But I think the question is, when you think about the obstacles, the challenges that you're facing in your life, the hardships that you're having right now, those walls that you're hitting against, those struggles you're battling with, how many of you know it's a lot easier to have faith in the, more faith in the obstacle than in the father who can knock it down? Think about for a moment the famous story of the walls of Jericho. We sung about it in the first song. The walls coming down. It's really easy to be like, wow. Man, could you imagine how much faith all of those Israelites must have had when they walked around the walls? I bet they were questioning it the whole time. The whole time. Because here, God says, I'm going to knock down these walls. And you're like, how? By walking around them? By looking a fool? By acting a fool? Come on, in 1990s, VeggieTales tells us. Come on, they were mocked the whole time. The little peas up on the walls. They were making fun of them the whole way around. They're being mocked. They're being harassed. They look a fool. How foolish did Noah look? Decade after decade, building a boat for rain that hadn't come yet. You see, sometimes that obstacle that you're believing is going to come down, that's going to fall. There's a this process that gets put in front of you. And it's a lot easier at times to believe and have faith for the permanence of the obstacle than in the breakthrough from our Savior. But church, when we put our faith, when we put our trust in God, and we say, "You know what, I'm believing in you are met. This might take a while, but I'm going to trust you." Honestly, I have this like living testimony in my garage right now of my broken car. My shutdown car is how I think about this. It's a huge obstacle. I got a new car. It's only had 90,000 miles on it. A few months after driving it, the engine, the seals, get shot, the whole engine seizes, engine shot, like complete replacement. To actually repair the engine would be more expensive than to fix it. I'm stuck. Now, here's the challenge with this when you want to talk about mustard seed faith. The week before my engine exploded, my wife Renee and I, we actually stretched our faith and gave the most to builders that we ever had, a single offering. Now, see, what I like to think about with faith is that if I give big and builders God's probably gonna give me like a new car, right? Like I gave big, what's coming next week? What's coming tomorrow? Come on, God, did you see what I just did? I just stretched my face. So now give me, give me, give me. Isn't that our natural reaction? We just think that way in our flesh. But the reality of that generosity is what am I actually saying? God, I trust your emet. And I trust the big picture. So even though my car is broken down and I still haven't been able to pay to fix it and sitting in my garage, not for a second do I question whether or not God is gonna be faithful because I have a whole lifetime to live. And that might be a setback, but I know that in the grand scheme of God's provision for me and my family, it is a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in the bucket. It's so easy for God to take care of. And he's already providing ways and opening doors and setting us up. And guess what? There's always, you, you get there, you find a car, you keep moving and God's faithfulness is going to be showed out in time. It's not going to be instantaneous in this moment. But that's the reality, is that for many of us, it's a lot easier to have day-to-day faith than day-by-day faith. But church, I want day-by-day faith, not day-to-day faith. Let me explain. Day-to-day faith kind of looks like this. On the day when I have the money in my account to make the builder's offering, I got faith. I'm believing. God, you're good. God, you're going to do it. You are a provider. God, Jehovah Jireh. Come on, let's go. I feel good today. Everything's handled. My kids are healthy. The house is clean. The bank account's full. and We're making a donation. Let's go. We are set up to be a blessing. I am blessed to be a blessing. I believe that for me. That's easy on that day. I mean, you know, it's a lot harder to have the faith on the day when the car explodes and you don't have the money to fix it. Day-to-day faith is circumstantial. God, my circumstances are going to dictate my faith and whether or not I continue to grow my life of faith. If it's a good day, I got faith. If it's a bad day, I do not have faith. I am day-to-day. And human instinct tends to edge towards day-to-day faith. But if we would actually have mustard seed faith, the kind of faith where we plant ourselves and over time realize that we're going to produce something beautiful, over, over having disciplines of prayer and fasting and that, and that having a discipline of our generosity, having a discipline of going to God and, and spending time in his word and serving him and growing this thing. If we would have day by day faith, I know that day by day, I'm gonna see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That day by day, I'm gonna see his provision. That day by day, I can actually encourage those around me because actually mustard seed faith can move hearts and if I would show this kind of faith, people are gonna be impacted by my life of faith and they're gonna watch my day by day faith and my testimonies of faith and I've seen him move mountains so I believe he's gonna do it again in our life and this is the God that we serve, this is the truth that we hold on to and we're gonna be okay and we're gonna make it through and he is faithful and he is good and he is just. It's the kind of faith I wanna have. It's the kind of lifestyle I want to live. You know, there was this phrase, as the band comes on up, there was this really popular phrase just in church while I was a youth pastor, and I adopted it. And sometimes this happens, sort of phrases circle, and you start to hear them around church. And, and this phrase was, one moment in the presence of God can change everything. And it's not, it's not wrong. One moment in the presence of God can change everything. But much like a message of all you need is a mustard seed of faith and the mountain will move and leave it at that without the context, without the understanding, without understanding that this was a word for people who had failed and who had tried and put themselves out there and had struggled and to not understand the prayer and fasting component and that it's actually faith like a seed, not, not, not a small amount. And in all of these realities, this phrase started to mean for people that right now in this moment, everything should be fixed. That this moment in God's presence, everything should be solved. Everything should be fixed. The reality is that God is so good to meet you in a moment. He is so good to send his helper, the Holy Spirit, to give his presence to you, to encourage you, to help you. But often, when you come to the presence of God, and you worship him, and his presence fills you, and you have this moment, everything isn't solved, everything isn't fixed. But all of a sudden, what used to be hopeless is now hope-filled. What used to seem impossible, now seems possible. All of a sudden, you start to get faith believing that you have what it takes to get through the trial. All of a sudden, you start to get a little bit of peace that goes beyond understanding because you're in in a trial and you're in chaos. But the presence of God starts to give you faith, believing that even in the midst of this insane trial and this same problems, that I've got some hope. So I shifted this phrase, and rather than saying one moment in the presence of God can change everything, I started to say one moment in the presence of God can change the trajectory of your life. Because what does it do? This mustard seed faith? It gives you the ability to take your eyes off of the obstacle, off of the problem and put your eyes onto the author and the perfector of our faith. It gives us the ability to say, you know what? I do have faith that I'm going to overcome this challenge. I do have faith that I'm going to get my healing. I do have faith believing for this. Why? Because I'm trusting in his emet. It's not how much faith can I make It's how faithful can I be. It's not my works, it's his works. It's how much can I trust him. It's how much can I lay my life down at his feet. Because he's the one that's faithful. He's good to show up. But scripture shows us that that doesn't mean he prevents you from experiencing trouble. That he he prevents you from ever having pain or problems or challenges. No, because he's a good dad. He wants to be you. And he has his best in mind for you. But church, I believe that we need to have mustard seed faith. Faith like the seed. So I'm a seed. and I need to grow. And I need to spend time in his word. I need to get around him more. I need to spend more time in his presence. I need to grow my faith. I don't need to worry and stress so much of have I poured out enough faith? Have I measured enough faith to get my healing? It's not how he works. Have I submitted my life to his faithfulness? So all across this room, I want you to take a moment.